Listen to this parable of the workers in the vineyard given by the Lord Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. They went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to, the, uh, said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning um, with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are in that situation. I know Father's Day, like Mother's Day, can be a holiday with mixed feelings. Some of us have had great dads, and we love the day, and we love rejoicing that, in that relationship. Others of us wish our fathers would have been around a little bit. And a day like this is a little bit painful and a little bit hurtful. Some of you would love to be a dad, and you're not a dad. And, and so the, the holiday is mixed with feelings. So I rejoice with those of you who rejoice. And I mourn with those of you who mourn on this Father's Day. Men, I think in general, with women joining us these last few decades, have had much of our lives defined by the workplace. We strive, we compete in the workplace. At times we think situations are unfair. We can't understand why someone um, we know is not a good worker, who is not competent, they get the promotion, Amen. And we wonder, why, why am I not getting that promotion? Why am I being overlooked? I learned early on in my work experience that the workplace is not fair. I began my work experience at Shakey's Pizza Parlor. I was a cook. Shakey's didn't just serve pizza, they served fun. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they had a banjo player, and they had a lady playing the piano, and everybody sat at these really long tables, and they served fun as well as pizza. Well, I tell you what, if you were a pizza cook in Shakey's Pizza Parlor, it was not fun. And I learned very early on in my work experience that there are a lot of schmoozers out there. A lot of kids were playing the angles with the managers, trying to get out of work, and I just refused from their early age to ever do that. And therefore, I got to work very hard. And they got to smooch and get by sometimes very easily. And I learned right away, life just isn't fair in the workplace. It doesn't have an equality thing going on. Get this about the parable I read to you uh, this morning from the Lord Jesus Christ. Most likely, the ones that were hired early in the morning, they were the overachievers, guys. 
they were the worker bees. They were the ones that had plans and had ambition and wanted to go someplace in life. As the day went on, the workers who were left over were probably less and less desirable. Perhaps they had uh, working issues. They were not hard workers, or maybe they had competency issues, or perhaps they had some disabilities. But as the day transpired, most likely you went from the overachievers, and as the day went on, got to the less and less desirable workforce. And this parable is not about business. Parables about the kingdom of God. It's about a God who provides enough for everyone. It's about a Lord who loves and gives what is needed. At times, that love seems outrageous, especially if you're not the recipient of it. It's a love that doesn't keep score. It's a love that gives what's needed to the person uh, for their benefit. You know, God's love is not calculating. At times, our love is very calculating. Calculating love leads to envy, leads to all kinds of problems. And I think what the Lord's trying to get us to understand here is that we have to quit being calculating with other human beings. If we are, we're going to always be envious. And this teaching here, this, this parable, I think is so applicable to us. It's not just good for us men, it's good for you women. And it's good for our children to understand who God is and how God functions and what kingdom math looks like. Let me give you our introductory thought today. Love is not calculating, but envy is. Love is not calculating, but envy is. There's a medieval legend of St. Martin who came upon two men, one envious, the other jealous. They were arguing over which of them was the greatest. The good saint sought to settle the argument by framing his blessing as a catch-22. Make a wish and I'll give you anything you ask for, providing your adversary gets twice as much. For two hours, they stared at each other without saying a word. Neither would proclaim any kind of blessing for himself, meaning that his rival would get twice that blessing. Go ahead and ask for something, the jealous man taunted, and I'll have twice the profit. In spite of your cunning, I will be twice what you seek to become. And when the jealous man put it like that, the envious man knew in an instant what he wanted. He asked to be made blind in one eye. It'll come. Just think on it. That's envy. He wants others to have less, even if it hurts a bit. He wants others to have less, even if it hurts a bit. Do you struggle at all with envy? We all do. No matter how good your family upbringing, if you were in a multiple child uh, situation, you were not treated the same by your parents. And if you're a parent of multiple children, I guarantee you do not treat your children the same no matter how much you think you do that. I was a middle child. Anybody been a middle child here in families? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You tend to be the ignored one. I'm having a pity party here. But I have an older brother who's about 18 months older than me, and uh, he required a lot of my mom and dad's attention. <laughs> and I did not. And I didn't want that kind of attention. And so, but I, was, I tended to be the good kid that never got in trouble. Well, I got in some trouble. All right. In my mind, I was the good kid that never got in trouble. 
But I was more quiet at home, and I was the one that did well in school, and just kind of got along. Now along comes a little uh, sister. She's six years younger than us. You know how that works, amen? Uh, all the attention went to her, and the cuddling, and she's little, and take care of her, and blah, blah, blah. You know what, what, <laughs> what I want to say by all this is simply this. Life is never fair. Get over it. You are never going to be treated equal. Don't think that's owed to you. Because if you think that way, you're always going to be an envious person, thinking that you're missing out on something and others have it better than yourself. The normal is not for us to be treated the same. Life is not about fair or equal. Life is about what God wants to do in your life for his glory, for the furtherance of his kingdom. If you don't get this baseline understanding of life, you're going to be eaten alive by envy. Envy sees what others have and want it. Whether that be possessions or maybe a loving relationship with a spouse that you wish you had or a career path that has eluded you or health that you wish you were experiencing that someone else is experiencing, envy compares and wishes for that. It very rarely compares down, by the way. It always compares to those that have more. The vice today we're looking at, obviously, is envy. So the vice we're looking at today is envy. And I want to define for you some characteristics of envy. I think this will help a lot. The first characteristic of envy is comparison. Envy isn't satisfied with enough. It wants more than others. Nothing wrong with competition, by the way. But at some point, you and I need to say, enough. Enough is enough. I'm satisfied. I don't need anything more. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a better car. I don't need a new lawnmower. I don't need a new dress. I don't need a new countertop. I need to quit watching HGTV is what I need to quit doing. Amen? Because what I have, my countertop works good for chopping up my vegetables. I do not need a granite countertop that costs me six to $7,000. Amen? I'm not getting a huge amen. I should get a huge amen on that. We just don't need that stuff. We need to quit comparing. We need to become satisfied people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need more and better. If you ever grant a top, oh, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm stopping. I just, all right. Second thing, second characteristic of envy is grumbling. Grumbling. Envy is known by its grumbling. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother of, 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 of James and John made such an audacious act of Jesus. It's incredible that she asked this of Jesus. She said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want one of my sons to sit at your right hand, and I want my other son to sit at your left hand. Oh, my goodness. She had no idea what she was asking for. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking for here. (laughs) You do not understand this at all. Well, then the other ten disciples heard what she had asked for. And they begin to do what? Grumble and murmur about it. Because after all, they thought, I should be the one sitting at your right hand, not them. Or I should be the one sitting at your left hand, not them. And then Jesus just deflated that whole moment by saying, listen, fellows, listen. The greatest among you will be the servant of you all. The greatest among you will be a slave of you all. All of a sudden, the murmuring just stopped. Oh, I'm not envious of that. I don't want that. I want to sit at your right hand or your left hand. Third characteristic of envy is this. Blindness to the blessings of God. Blindness 
to the blessings of God. The envious person may have wonderful assets, may have wonderful abilities, but all he or she can see is what others have, their assets and their blessings. And what all others have always seems to loom larger and greater and better than what you have. Envy can blind you to the goodness that God is bestowing upon you. Lastly, I think this characteristic is, is, is just, it's, you need to take it to heart. Envy causes sadness. It just creates a soul sadness. Where deep inside of you, there's just this kind of like depression and you're feeling down all the time. Gone is thankfulness and joy because how can you be thankful when all you're aware of is what you think you don't have? Those are the characteristics of envy. That's why it's such an, such an insidious thing. So what is envy? Let's smack this thing right between the eyes with, a, with I think, a really good definition. It is sorrow over another person's good or happiness over another person's sorrow. That's envy, succinctly defined. It is sorrow over somebody else doing good and having blessings, and it's happiness over another person's suffering or sorrow. It's why I think Joseph's brothers resented him so much in the Old Testament. We're told in Genesis 37 that Joseph, this favored son, had this dream. And he had it a couple times. He dreamed that his brothers bowed down to him, and then he dreamed that his brothers and his mother and father bowed down to him. Well, dad rebuked Joseph and said, oh, man, we're going to bow down to you. But he pondered it. He pondered it, it says in scriptures. But the brothers just got envious and very jealous of Joseph. And they looked for ways to do him harm because his sorrow would bring them what? Happiness. And so they sold him into slavery and God's hands in all this. And eventually, this Joseph who sold into slavery becomes second in in command to all of Egypt. God foreknowing that a famine was going to come upon the land and that Egypt would save his people Israel, uh, raised Joseph up into this place of prominence and position. And so Joseph, knowing the famine was going to come, uh, stored up food for that time, where his brothers and mom and dad didn't know that was going to happen, and they weren't prepared. And so guess what? When the famine hit the land, the brothers were sent to Egypt to try to get food. And they come before Joseph, not knowing who he is. And what did they do? You remember this story, right, some of you? They what? Oh, they bowed before him because he was this man of providence. They didn't even recognize who he was. That dream came true, didn't it? But because of envy, they couldn't see the good that God was going to do. They couldn't see God's hand on their brother's life. Instead, they had sorrow over another person's good, and they had happiness over the sorrow when Joseph was sold into slavery. Now, over in the New Testament, we read in Matthew 27 that it was out of envy that the Jewish leadership at that time handed Jesus over to Pilate. They had sorrow over Jesus' good, and they had happiness when he experienced sorrow. That's a good, succinct definition of envy. Gore Vidal said this, every time a friend succeeds, I die a little. Because I can't rejoice, evidently, when the good things are happening to them. We see envy manifested all the time in, in our culture. It's the quiet sabotage of a coworker that's doing better than you to try to make them unsuccessful. 
It's a resentment and vilification of maybe the rich, even though you've never met most of them. You notice how that we, we in our culture like to vilify that group of people and say we just need to tax them more. That's the solution to our country's problems. It's, uh, it's the satisfaction felt when something bad happens to someone who seemingly had it all together. I knew they were too good to be true. I knew something bad was going on in the background, and now it's evident. It's that rejoicing in somebody's suffering. Listen to this humorous story from the Jewish uh, tradition. I I love this story. Here's what he says. A a man must always be considerate of the feelings of his neighbor. So, for instance, if I went to the fair and did well, sold everything at a good profit and returned with pockets full of money, I never failed to tell my neighbors that I lost every cent and I was a ruined man. Thus, I was happy and my neighbors were happy. But if on the contrary... I had been really cleaned out at the fair. I made sure that I told all my neighbors that never since God had made fairs has there been a better one, but not for me. Oh, he didn't say not for me. I'm going to start that second part again because that's not going to make sense unless I say this right. So if he was really cleaned out at the fair and didn't do really well, he would go back and say... Never had there not been a better one. Thus, I was miserable, and my neighbors, who thought I'd done really well, were also miserable. Because they were jealous and envious. And that story would have meant a whole lot more if I would have told it right. All right. The virtue that displaces... Thank you. I'm not envious. Thank you. The virtue that displaces envy is kindness. But simply to tell an envious person to be kind-hearted is not going to remove that vice of envy. Something fundamental has to change deep within our souls for envy to be dislodged and instead for us to experience a genuine kindness towards others. The means of grace, the bridge from envy to kindness is faith. It's faith. And I need to define for you what I mean by that term faith here. Uh, Here's what is meant by faith in this uh, instance. Faith believes God will supply what you need. Envy, on the other hand, believes there's a limited amount, and this will not be enough. There's not enough to go around. So faith believes that God will supply, but envy believes there's a limited amount, and this will not be enough. Faith focuses then on God. Envy focuses on whom? Others. And therein lies the fundamental problem. Faith focuses on God. Envy focuses on others. The landowner in the parable of Jesus called out the ones who cried foul because he didn't pay them differently. Would you not have been in that camp? Say you got there early in the morning. Say you got there five in the morning just when the sun's rising and you picked and picked and picked and picked all day long and then some guy shows up at five in the afternoon, picks for one hour, they get in line first, they get a denarius and what do you think you're going to get? Oh, I should get 10 denarius, right? I should get 20 and you get one. Wouldn't that bother you? Come on, wouldn't it bother you? Yeah, it bothered me a lot. Because we so easily believe we're owed, and we so quickly compare ourselves to others. And the landowner says, are you envious? Because I'm generous. 
The workers were upset because they felt, I've earned this, I'm owed this, I should get ahead. There's a limited amount of money here. That was their perspective. And I should get more than these guys. I should get a bigger piece of the pie. Envy flows from competition, from comparison. And it flows from a scarcity mindset. Like there's not enough to go around. To counteract this, you have to become a person of true faith who trusts in the promise and the provision of the Lord. That has to be your foundation for your viewpoint of life, that he has ample supply for you. Don't look at other people. Look to God. The landowner's focus was on fulfilling his promise. He represents God in the parable. God will fulfill his promise. If he says he'll give something to you, what will he do? He will give it to you. Faith believes that the landowner is generous. As a person of faith, you become free to enjoy the supply and the provision of your God without the worry and fretting about what's going to happen all the time. As a person of faith, you don't envy others. You don't base their worthiness and, and you know, their their goodness on what they're getting. You don't look at them and say, you're worth more and your glory is greater than me because you have more than me. You don't look at it that way because you know that God is the giver and dispenser of all good things. And every perfect gift comes down from heaven to us as a gift from God our Father. And our glory and our worthiness isn't dependent upon who we are and what we've achieved. To, to, to move from the vice of envy to the virtue of kindness we have to practice faith that believes God is able to supply what we need, and that's enough. So let's talk on the practice of faith. There's two competing viewpoints, by the way, for how you basically will deal with envy, and, and I think life in general. And I think it's, it's really spelled out for us in Psalm 73. And I'm going to read this to you. Now, I want you to hear it this way. Look, the first half of this psalm, Asaph looks at others. And he compares life to others. The second half of Psalm 73, he turns his attention to God, and the outlook is entirely different. He begins with his overall statement in, 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 in Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So that's a statement. God's good, and he's good to those who are pure in heart. But now watch where his eyes go. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. In other words, he's saying, I nearly lost my faith. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. You ever think that way? You guys, do you ever think that way? Because this is common thinking. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. You ever feel like this? This is a common comparison thing that goes on that causes envy. Now listen to what he says. This is very reflective. If I had spoken out like that, 
I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my soul embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory." Whom have I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. This is a great psalm to emphasize what I've just been talking to you about when it comes to the topic of envy. Envy will focus on others and what they have. Asaph, in writing this psalm notes in the first half, he almost lost his foothold, almost lost his faith, because he envied the seemingly prosperity and ease of the wicked. In the first half of the psalm, 17 times, he makes references to others and what they have. That is fertilizer for envy. Now, in the second half of Psalm 73, it's like he turns a corner. Faith will focus on God and trust in him. In the last half of the psalm, basically, he refers to God 16 times. It's almost a complete opposite of the first half. And this focus then produces faith that moves him from the state of envy to the state of faith. One, the focus on others produces an an envious kind of attitude. The other focus being on God produces what? A faith kind of attitude, which then will lead to kindness. And we'll get to that in a few moments. But I want to relate to you kind of a long story, but it's not that long because I'm going to just read it to you. But it's Steve Deneth's take on Psalm 73. It's so good. I can hardly wait to tell this to you. And you men, it's for you this Father's Day. This is my gift to you. Because you're going to relate to this just like I did. Behold the parable, he begins. Imagine you're driving along on Interstate Highway and you notice the left lane is moving faster. So you swing your car into the left lane and you step on it. Amen, men? Right? After all, we're there to conquer the trip. Suddenly you see a sign that says, Lane ends, merge right. Now what do you do? A few people immediately move into the right lane because they don't want to get caught in a traffic jam. The truth is, if everyone just did that, there would be no traffic jam. But there wouldn't be a winner or a loser either. So you stay a little longer in the left lane thinking, I can capitalize uh, on the more timid drivers who are dropping like flies and merging. The longer you keep going in the left lane, the less traffic you have to deal with. A half mile later, you're just flying down the freeway. Now your conscience or your wife gets the best of you. And you start thinking that maybe you should move over into the right lane. This is fine with you because you're also thinking of all the people that you've passed. You have gotten way beyond the wimps. And you've been real shrewd in your driving. It's worked out really well for you. So you find your place in the right lane. But then you notice something. All 
these people are still going down the left lane and they're not merging. They're driving like maniacs. They're a little bit out of control. Don't they know that lane's going to end soon? What will they do then? But you know the answer. They're going to merge ahead of you. They will slow down and they'll stick their nose of the car into the right lane and some wimp ahead of you will let them in. You no longer think of all the people that you've passed that are behind you. Now all you could think of is all the people that are passing by you as you obediently drive along in the right lane. You tell yourself, they should pay a price. But the longer this goes on, the more you're tempted to get back where? In the left lane. This is the image, Stephen F. says, of, of Psalm 73. The psalmist starts with saying, God is good. His focus is on God. But pretty soon, all he sees is all these people in the left lane <laughs> passing him by. They're flying by him in the left lane. And what bothers him is not that they are, are, are ones who are participating in evil, but the fact that they seemingly don't have to pay any price for doing that. The psalmist's first and last rants uh, say nothing about their wickedness. It says they have no struggles, they're free from burdens, and they're always carefree, and they increase in wealth. And that's true. They can afford an easier life, a better diet, better health care, nicer vacations, and more conveniences. That's precisely the problem. That's precisely why we get envious. They seemingly have it easier, better, nicer, and more. The seeds of comparison sown as such will cause envy. So you're putzing along. We're back to the freeway. You're putzing along on the right lane now, muttering to yourself, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. You cannot enjoy your place in the line because all you can see are those passing you by. You know the person most susceptible to envy, oftentimes, is the one who's playing by the rules. The one who's conservative, who's meticulous, and such a one may believe that the landowner is good, that God is good. But they still want people in the left lane to get what they deserve. And their eyes are on the wrong. Uh, their, their eyes are focused wrong here. Are you one of those people? Do you find yourself secretly hoping that the people in the left lane have an accident? that they get what they deserve? In other words, are you saying, I don't really trust in you, God, I don't trust my place in the line? Now, Stephen Neff, I love this part. Vicki is in this service, because this happens to me too. Because I get competitive on the highway sometimes, stupid competitive. He says, when this happens to me in my car, my wife will try to quiet me down, but it's no use. I'm too envious. Still, she speaks in gracious tones and says something like, why don't you take your eyes off the people on your left and put them on the road in front of you and sit back and enjoy the company that's with you in the car? Ah. You cannot rebuke that. There is no good answer to that, Stephen Neff says. If I argue, the drive only gets worse. Besides, she's right. The longer I focus on those passing me, the more I insult her, the more I insult her, the more trouble I make for myself. Besides, it's become pretty good advice coming as it does through the psalmist and through my wife's translation. Take your eyes out the people passing you by. Faith, now hear this, faith remembers 
that God is good even when bad people prosper. Amen? Because faith does not focus on bad people. Faith focuses on God. Faith doesn't look in the left lane. Faith realizes I'm where I belong and God has given me this place. Amen? I haven't earned this. I don't deserve more than this. God has graciously given this place to me and I'm not going to focus on those who seemingly are passing me by and having life easier. I think, for me, when I read this, and I've read this multiple times, it's profound. It's more than a traffic analogy, of course, right? As we're doing life, we're so oftentimes focused on these people who seem to be doing everything wrong, thinks they're skidding by, they're not being honest, and we're get, we get envious because where is our focus? On them. Where should our focus be? On God. So the virtue of kindness now is how we're going to conclude. With eyes on Jesus, you can be kind to others instead of envious of them. Now, when I use that word kind, I mean you can be considerate of others. You can be generous towards others because you're assured that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He owns owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's a God of infinite supply. Amen? We don't need to look to others and say, I wish I want. I, I don't know why they get better than me. Quit looking at the left lane and look at God. And I think that'll move you from being a person that's dominated by envy to being a person that's now dominated by kindness towards others. And the means of getting from envy to kindness is by having a faith that trusts in the supply of God, that we don't serve a God of scarcity, that God will give us everything that we need. Do you believe this all your heart, soul, mind, strength? Do you? Because if you do, it'll kill envy in you. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older, but I just don't need as much anymore. Some of you know what I mean by that? Or you even want it. The more stuff you have, the more maintenance you have to do. The more you have to just keep up all the stuff. And the more problems you have and the more concerns you have. And I tell you what, I just, I just see that the, the, the truth of, of what we looked at this morning in my own life, and I pray you have. Because God wants us to be kind-hearted people who have a focus on him so that we're considerate of others and we're generous towards others. He wants you and I to be some of the most generous people in the world. Amen? Because we just love Jesus and we know who Jesus is. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this scripture today from the parable of Jesus all the way to Psalm 73. It's a lot of scripture, but it's so full of insight and wisdom. And I pray, Lord God, today that our focus would be on you and you alone, that we'd quit looking like Asaph talked about on the wicked and thinking that they have a better life, an easier life, and more riches and better health and all that, that we just quit looking at, at what's going on there and thinking and wishing that were us. Instead, we choose this day, Lord, as your people, to focus on you and to declare that our place in the line is good. We're satisfied with our lives. We know you bestow good gifts on us, Lord God, and we know that you're sufficient to meet all our needs, and we just trust in you wholeheartedly today, Lord. And out of that faith statement, God, I pray that we then would become people driven by the virtue of kindness towards others, that we freely share with others. For freely we have received and freely we are to give. 
God, we love you and praise you. Thank you for this opportunity just to speak a little bit with, on, with these folks on envy. I feel like we just scratched the surface of it, but your spirit is great. And you'll bring to mind what all these folks need to know. I trust you for that, Lord. God, blessed be your name. And all God's people said,